Priestess and the Cauldron, a podcast featuring Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, two out-of-the-room-closet professional witches with over 70 years' combined experience of making magic. This is a show on the LMC Radio Network. During each show, Elvira and Phoenix will help you create rituals, make spells, make potions, and much more besides. They'll spend time speaking about different goddesses from all over the world, paying attention to the ancient reverence of long-ago cultures and infusing it with a modern perspective. Elvira, Phoenix, take it away. Feeling out of the broom closet tastes good. <laughs> With Dusty in there for a while, you know. But um, so obviously, here we are with a live show. Yeah, Friday. Yep. January nineteenth, two thousand eighteen. We never do that. We never say what the date is. No, I think it's because we are beyond time and space. <laughs> deep. Well, as much as I try to be, at least it sounded good to say. But, yeah, no, we don't. We don't. We kind of just, you know, jump right in and start babbling. Yeah. So we can jump right in and babble. How was your week? Well, Elvira, I have to look at the my calendar here and go, what did I do this week? <laughs> my January is very busy. Um, my My life is busy. I just need to stop pretending like this is unusual. <laughs> It's a norm for you. It is a norm. I just need to embrace it and stop trying to beat myself up for being too busy. Right. But I, um, I, I kind of overdid it this week. Month. Yeah. yeah, this month. But, yeah, I'm teaching a, a six-week Iron Pentacle class that's on Tuesday nights, and then I'm taking a four-week astrology class that's on Wednesday nights. Ooh. And then I have my goddess gathering, which happens the last Thursday of the month. Right. And then I have a special event at the shop this Saturday with Jenya Beachy, who just released a book called The Secret Country of Yourself. Oh, yes. And she'll be coming in about five and sign some books and schmooze, and we're going to have wine and some cheese and crackers. Uh huh. Then at six o'clock when the store closes, she's going to do a little workshop about the concepts in her book. And I've done this little workshop before. It's amazing. Uh huh. Um, but, you know, I'll be at the shop, and, and, and I'm excited and I love it, but I'm like, okay, so... This night I was out, this night I was out, this night I was out. Today is the radio show, and tomorrow is technically Saturday is my only day off. I'm using air quotes here. <laughs> Lots of them, by the way. And I'm ta- I'm doing another online class. I started, okay, now I'm going down this rabbit hole. I didn't realize I was going to go down. Oopsie. I read, I read this book called If Women Rose Rooted. And it's by a, a British woman named Sharon Blackie. Uh-huh. And it's all about how women need to reconnect to the land so and learn the myths and stories of landscape right. so that we can help heal the planet, basically, right. right? And so this is so in alignment with where I am in my headspace recently. And so I started looking her up, the author right. of this book. And she does uh, pilgrimages to her homestead out in Scotland, and she, and you know, that's kind of far for me, <laughs> a little bit pricey, yeah. but she also does these online courses. Right. So starting Saturday, I'm do, enrolled in this eight-week online course um, about exploring these concepts. Right. So, so, yeah, Saturday, wake up at eight, go to an online workshop. Uh-huh. I have a couple business phone calls that I scheduled for myself. Right. Because, you know, it's my day off. Then I have the event at the shop. Right. And then my work week starts on Sunday. Okay, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I understand. Uh, it it sort of doesn't it doesn't end. Yeah. It uh, rolls over. All the blessings. So I'm pleased and I am taking lots of immune boosting herbs and things because I'm balls to the wall right now and right. I'm doing some tra- some extensive traveling over the right. last couple of months so I'm making sure that I'm nice and strong. Right, right. So airplane air doesn't take me down. Actually, I found out one of the tricks, and this was something somebody, I don't remember where, is um, if you get the airflow on high, mm-hmm. it keeps, it's not 
I mean, you're going to get recycled air, yeah. but it keeps the air flowing so it doesn't become stagnant. Oh, see, I thought if I, because I prefer to have the air on me. Yeah. But I just assumed it was blowing all the germs in my face. Well, as far as <laughs> you're blowing it anyway. True. And and it just seemed it was it. Somebody said that, and you know the interesting thing is is that I did my traveling in the holidays, you yeah. know, and all that, and I'm fine. And what happened is I got myself a little cold now, and it wasn't from there. Yeah. It was coming here and working in. Um, a shop and and that was how I got it right oh yeah I assume I'm gonna be fine until like April when all of my traveling is done and like you, right around my 40th birthday I'm gonna crash yeah 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 I'll be fine you'll you will you will because that's how it works cause yes. that's how it when I started amping down right the body goes yeah you know oh finally a break thanks and it goes yeah uh, fine yeah so yeah how are you Elvira well, as I said, a cold has attached itself into myself, and it's just a matter of, you know, do the necessary things. Um, it hasn't stopped me from functioning. It is just an inconvenience yeah. because of the things that that entails, blowing a nose, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. But for the most part, it's just been a busy week, just like you, to get everything done and yeah. to make the next deadline and to be there for the next person that you have as a client or right. whatever else you're doing. And then, of course, the radio show. And researching what we have in store for everyone was fascinating. <laughs> because not only did it wind up having, you know, these people we are researching, but it brought up some really interesting conversation that we had before the show. Right. That we will always bring forth some of our nuggets of wisdom into the to the show, but it was just it was very for me challenging and it was very uh enlightening because yeah. there's some things here that in some ways takes you to a deep place in your own ethics right yeah, and where you want to go and so with that excellent yes. segue, yes, tonight we're talking about oath breakers. But really, it's bigger than that. It's oath breakers. It's people who maybe weren't as honest as they could have been about their intentions stepping right. into the pagan community. And it's people who abandoned the pagan community after becoming a popular leader and how it feels to be abandoned and feel like someone has broken the oaths of their spiritual community. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it. That's what we're going to talk about. Well, and with that, I'm going to just sort of, I decided that, I was going to go look up the words liar um, and, you know, what an oath breaker is and get a little bit of a dictionary version of what these are. And, of course, they have all different ways to look at it. But, um, you know, they say a liar is a person who tells lies or um, has a reputation of a, as a deceiver or fabricator. And then you have to look up lie, and that's an intentional falsehood using you know, in terms of a reference with the situation, it means involving in a deception or a found, you know, or doing it in a manner that it gives a mistaken impression. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously untruthfulness is a, the opposite. It's that. And an oath breaker is someone who fails to observe the solemn promise or oath that they have taken. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, oath is a solemn promise often invoking divine witness and regarding one's feeling, uh, future action or behavior. And you work with that as like pledge or vow, word of honor, bond. And then if you talk about break or, a, you know, being a breaker of an oath, it's basically putting an end, and in, you know, to interrupting what you are doing, what you have done, yeah. and failing to observe or failing to connect with the, the energies of what you have done, meaning it's, mm-hmm. it's breaking it apart, separating it. So, um, you know, it, it they don't they don't maintain their agreement, right? And in in terms of legality, when you break an oath, you are liable to stand in um, particular penalties, right? Whether, you know, you break um, an oath of what you do in terms of I will buy this and pay for it, you you know, or I put my hand on a sacred object that says I promise to tell the truth, and right. if you don't, it becomes jailable, punishable. Right. 
And I think that is not being too harsh about what this is, what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like we were, we talked about this before the show, there's this concept of things being an oath in certain traditions of witchcraft. And the story, the, the traditional story behind that, which might be bullshit. Don't tell anyone I said that. <laughs> but supposedly, okay. back in the old days, when it was dangerous to be out of the room closet, when it was against the law to be a witch, you took an oath to your coven. Right. That you would not reveal any of what you practiced, you would not reveal the sacred texts, you would not reveal the rituals, and you would not reveal each other. Right. And the idea was that you took an oath to your coven to protect everyone's identity, and if someone broke that oath and was an oath breaker, the coven would banish them, curse them, murder them, whatever. But they would be... Uh, punished, punished, yeah, and and it, and the curse would go into effect as soon as they broke the oath. Right, like it was a ritual thing that you did to take the oath to become a coven, and if you broke that oath, the curse was then put upon you. Not because anyone specially did that, but because by breaking your oath, you were then cursed. Right, right, I think right. that makes sense. So that's what part of why these traditions are what they are, and in some traditions of witchcraft. You take oaths, you don't talk about what you learn, you keep it a damn secret, and you don't share it. You don't publish your rituals, you don't put things out there, you keep it a secret. And in other traditions, it's like, wee, here's everything to do. <laughs> you know, so there's layers of yeah. all of that. And you have, in previous recordings, yeah. you have pointed out certain things that you yourself have taken an oath on and cannot talk about. Right. And you have kept your integrity, right. even though we were discussing whatever it was we were discussing as a topic. Yeah. So. And I am one that I overshare. <laughs> I'll tell you things that you maybe didn't even want to know, but I, right. you know, the places where I have, you know, taken an oath, I do take that seriously. Exactly. It's to respect those people who don't want their information out in the world, or even, like, there are a few folks that I circle with who wouldn't care if I said, oh, yeah, I... I circle with this person, but I because it's an oath I took in ritual space, I don't talk about it. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but tonight we're going to talk about some of the people who did talk about it. Yeah. Okay. And we were we were we uniquely it's balanced between men and women, so it's not like we're going to you know jump on the 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 male bashing. Though I will say this, we may have that a little later in the show. Just a little bit. Yeah. So, oh, and, you know, the other thing Elvira and I, we talked about before the show was, you know, because of the radio show, there's been some topics that we've looked at the history of more closely than we might have in the past. Right. And for me, it's been kind of depressing a little bit <laughs> to learn some of the history of, of the concepts that we and practices that we use in modern witchcraft and to find out that the source I thought was the source was not. Right. Or that it was made up or that it was lied about or that it was stolen or that, you know, it's culturally appropriated or whatever. A lot of the things that we sort of take for granted, a lot of them are based on lies. Right. That's kind of a bummer. And if it works, what does it matter? You know? Exactly. It's, it's, It's difficult. And this is a difficult topic. Yes, because these are people that have been in and are, some of them still alive, are in the public eye in some form. Right. You know, they have still chosen whether or not, you know, as I say, some of them still are, some of them have passed. Yeah, and if if you've been around the pagan community and paid even a little bit of attention, you may have heard at least one or two of the names of folks that are on our list tonight. Right. So, right. So with that, let us start with... (gasps) Lady Sheba. Lady Sheba. Yes. Her her muggle name, and I am going to say her muggle name, is <laughs> Jessie Wicker Bell. She was born July 18th, 1920, and she passed on March 2nd, 2002, which is a day after my kid was born. Oh, whoa. Weird. Yes. Maybe she's Lady Sheba reincarnated. 
I don't think so. <laughs> but that's okay. You, you, you can hold that open as a possibility down the road. I'm going to text her that right now. Hey, guess what? <laughs> You're Lady Sheba reincarnated, and she'll think I'm crazy. Well, there you go. But anyway, Lady Sheba. She's at, so the thing with Lady Sheba is we actually, for for whatever problems or problematic things she may have done, she actually made Wicca and witchcraft far more available to the masses than it would have been before her. Right. And you might think that's good or bad. Right. But the bottom line is she, a lot of what modern Wicca looks like now is because she did that. Right. And I am a skeptic. Okay. I am a skeptic. I just want to be clear with that. <laughs> some of the thi- some of the things that she claimed, my bullshit meter rings off. Like what? No, crazy. Yeah. No, this is bullshit. But who knows? I'm. I have an open mind. I'm a skeptic with an open mind. There you go. So Very good. Anyway, I'll, I'll shut up and, and let you talk about her. Oh well. <laughs> we kind of go back and forth yeah. here. Um, well, basically, um, she was the. Uh, writer of the U.S. Wiccan Celtic tradition and founder of American, well, this is the one I can't read my own, American Order of the Brotherhood of Wiccan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I have American Order of the Brotherhood of the Wicca. Wicca, okay. And so she kind of put it out there, and she claimed her background, of course, with seven generations mm-hmm. of, you know, on the maternal side, mm-hmm. because the maternal side was technically um, the Irish side. Irish witches, supposedly. Yep. Supposedly. If you and can't they, hear my eyes rolling. <laughs> Native American. Of course. How convenient. I come from a line of seven generations of witches from Ireland and a Native American grandfather of Rory. Okay, so then, and said that her grandmother <laughs> introduced her to the craft at the age of six and yes. taught her about Irish fairy folk, and then, of course, you have to go with the spirit guides of the Cherokee, because you can't leave out the dad's side. Right. And um, she basically claimed she inherited psychic abilities and was granted, now this one kind of gives me the hand of power yes. to protect others. And so she basically put together the Book of Shadows and proceeded to publish it. That's what we were talking about is the yes. first published. Right. Um, that revealed, and let's be clear, the Book of Shadows, and you can still find this book. It's called um, Lady Sheba's Grimoire. Grimoire, right? right. That's a later publication that was two books put together. But in this book, she published rituals that had never been published before. Right. And I will tell you without some of the rituals that she published match language in rituals that are oath-bound. Right. Word for word. Right. And she basically proclaimed herself. Now, this is the other part of the grandiose side of where we go when we talk about Ego. Yes. Um, she became the American Witch Queen. She titled herself that. Let's yes. be clear about she that. She titled herself that. Now, actually, you also had on the other side, which I found interesting, Alex Sanders, who titled himself King of the yeah. Witches. Yeah, yeah. And I just have to say right now, <laughs> okay, so you're going to hear a lot of bitchy phoenix tonight, everybody. Okay. I have to say right now, we don't get to give ourselves titles like that. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> I'm even hesitant when people give themselves the title of elder. I think, yes, age gives you a certain allowance of saying you're an elder, but it's when other people start saying, oh, they're my elder. Exactly. They're my mentor. We don't get to call ourselves that. <laughs> like, to me, that is so egotistical. Yes. The witch queen of the United States, of the America, whatever. Give me a freaking break. And this is in the 1970s. And because she was saying, well, all of my fancy hereditary whatevers. Right. It started some of this witch war bullshit that took place in the 70s. Well, my tradition's older. And, and you know, part of the research I did, this one website was like, and that was... It started off the recriminations of the 70s called the witch wars. Well, that still happens. Of course it is. It still is. happens today where someone's like, my lineage is older and my lineage is, I'm a traditional witch. No, no. But you know what it is, and this is this is going to open our can of worms to go with the rest of the people. Okay. Is that we, 
in saying that, in demanding that, in claiming that, yes, we want ourselves to be, again, the hierarchical consciousness of patriarchal religions and traditions. Yes. We have more. Ours is the. Yes. You know, it's yes. always better than. But better, stronger. Right. My witchcraft's going to kick your witchcraft's ass. Right. It's and, so stupid. And it's almost like, well, we're all here. Why do we have to keep trying right. to one-up the other one? Right. It doesn't make yours more legitimate than another's. It doesn't. It doesn't. And And having... The desire or the, the need or feeling like you have to defend right. your tradition in that way actually cheapens it and weakens exactly. it. What do you need to defend your tradition right. for? Right. It's so stupid. So that sort of presents us with, you know, the, the, the fact that something like this starts a whole series of events that yes. now have become um, out of control. Yeah in not just our tradition, but all of the different traditions that are alternative yeah. beliefs and religious systems. And, that, you know, there is a part of me that is grateful to Lady Shiva because she was ballsy, and she said the goddess told her to publish this book. And if you've, if I've not said this before on the radio show, I'd be shocked. I am not usually a, a proponent of the goddess made me do it. I think right. that's an excuse for bad behavior. Right. However... She followed a calling and an instinct and put this information out into the world, and it changed the face of modern paganism. Right. So there is a part of me that's grateful for that. However, you know, even Doreen Valiente accused her of stealing from Gerald Gardner. Exactly. And that's a, that's a big that's accusation. A big one. That's a big one. Because, you know, in terms of starting and working on, she even wound up, which is fascinating because she initiated um, – <laughs> We're going to go here. She initiated Carl Llewellyn yes. Westcott. Right. And that's right. the Llewellyn of Llewellyn Publishing. And that's who published her book. Exactly. Yes. And they worked together for many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was um, it was one of those things where you look at and you go, I see it. Right. So she officially became an oath breaker yeah. by taking something and keeping it from being secret to public. Right. And then she also became someone who appropriated something. Right. Assuming the accusations are valid. Right. That she took word for word books from Gerald Gardner's Book of Shadows that was secret material. Right. And had it published. Right. That is it breaking an oath. So she she basically, you know, and she was, and truthfully, you know, she hit all the criticisms. People definitely didn't, you know, take this, you know, sitting down. Yeah, and, you know, the Gardnerian Wicca is one of those modern traditions that still requires you to take oaths. Right. So in order for her to even have that information at some point, she would have had to run in a circle with Gardnerian witches and exactly. either been initiated right. or they considered her an equivalent of initiation. Otherwise, she wouldn't have even been able to get a hold of that right. information. Because it would have been, again... So that's where it gets ugly as far as Lady Sheba goes. So that's right. Her, that's, that's her first oath breaker. That's her first oath breaker. And she basically, you know, she defended her, that she had it from an original hand copy Book of Shadows. And, <laughs> and then she added spells and, you know, recipes that she gleaned from, you know, the practices the that she did. And uh-huh. she, you know, had her whole story, which, you know... It's a very beautiful story. Of course it is. It reads like a fairy tale. And she basically... But she kind of withdrew in the 1970s from public. She did. She got a lot of flashback and... Or whatever. And and hid. Right. And But even towards the end, even when she died, people came out in droves and honored her. It came to her ritual to honor her life and... You know, she did do a lot. I want to make sure that I, I'm clear about that. There is a part of me that's grateful for her, and there's a part of me that's like, wow, that was shady. Right. Yeah. And, you know, she had her ashes in the Book of Shadows that she had cremated yes. with her and her scattered over her family's uh, um, cemetery areas. So she did bring growth to the American Wiccan tradition. She did. She did. But it was not necessarily... It was also, as you said, shady. Shady. Yes. Shade. All right. Okay. Let's move on. Move on. We have a long list of people to talk shit about. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And if not, we'll find one, right? Hmm. Who should we move to? Should we pick on a boy? 
Let's pick a male-bodied person. Yeah, we've got, you know, as I said, equal time here. Do we want to go old school or newer? How about Teo? Teo Bishop. Teo Bishop. Teo Bishop. Do you know that name, anybody? (laughs) (laughs) So if you've been around the pagan world in the last decade, and it's actually less than that, you probably heard of Teo Bishop. Yeah. he, um, from the pagan perspective, I will, I'll talk about that really quick, and then yes. I'll let you talk about where he came from. Okay. I'll be quiet for a second. Oh, that's okay. We, we do well together here. Um, from the pagan world, he kind of he came from a Druid perspective. He was a part of the OBOD, the Order of Bards, Druids, and Obates. Right. Or, that's right. Order of Bards, Obates, and Druids. Druids. Sorry. It's okay. Um and he was kind of, he kind of came out of nowhere, and he was well-spoken, and he was a writer for The Wild Hunt, and he was charismatic, and he kind of rose to fame mm-hmm. and was very popular and did speaking events and public ritual and engaged quite a bit in the Druid community. And he was on the cover of Witches and Pagans magazine. Yes, he was, and he did write for them, too. He did. He had a, an ongoing... Um, article or a column mm-hmm. for Witches and Pagans magazine. So he showed up out of nowhere, rose to fame, as right. it happens sometimes in the pagan community with a charismatic person. Right. Um, and then the the when the edition of Witches and Pagans magazine comes out, he goes, hey, guys, I'm having feelings about Jesus, and I'm going to go explore those feelings, and stepped back into the Christian faith that he had started with. Right. So... But you share with us his origin story. Well, his origin story is that he was known as Matt, and he's now known as Matt Morris. Yes. He was a ex-Mouseketeer, along with the the times that we also know Justin Timberlake yep. and Britney Spears and uh, Christina Aguilera, and he even, you know, sang with some of these because yeah. he also was a singer-songwriter. And he had a career in pop music, so that was where he came from. And he was definitely a Christian-based Episcopalian uh, background. Right. And then about, oh, how do I put this, about 2010, he decides he's going to, he is rising in prominence in the pagan community. Mm-hmm. So you have like 1989 to 1996, he's doing the Mouseketeer thing, then he winds up doing the music thing, and then he winds up doing this out of nowhere. He sort of just starts to come out of being uh, those things and becomes very active in the pagan community. Right. And as Phoenix said, he, he wrote for um, the... Uh, Witches and, uh, well, that's it, good, my brain just went off. Witches and Pagans. Witches and Pagans, and he basically did this whole process where he started really getting into this situation. Yeah. And then, you know, from there it was like um, he he left and wound up, he took the name Teo Bishop. Yeah. He chose to do this, so he separated himself from his name Matt Morris. Right. And then he decided... And about 2011 or thereabouts, that he was going to take and merge the two. Right. So publicly, he came out as a pagan. Right. And then he merged. He got a legal name change to right. it. So, I mean, he wound up making it very clear that this is where he was going. Yeah. And then, as we all begin to get, you know, like into this, and he's, talk- and he's doing this, as Phoenix said, by 2013, he has this experience. He is handing food to a homeless woman, and she says, thank God bless you. And he heard the word God, and it was, it, it struck something in him. Right. And he suddenly felt he was called back into the traditions that that name needed to come from. And so right. he chose to go back into the Episcopalian. And he had, you know, he had a partner who basically the reason why he went into Druidism yeah. was that this particular partner was one who was in, was into this. Yeah, encouraged him. Encouraged him. It. And, of course, he was, um, it was a male-male partnership, so, of course, there is this whole process with the pagan traditions that were, you know, there had more openness. More accepting. More accepting of this. Of that. Of that, that lifestyle, lifestyle. <laughs> in, in an open way as opposed to, you know, trying to keep it 
especially on the down low when right. you're in the entertainment right. industry at that time. Right. At that time, it was not uh, popular or appropriate. And I think that, I mean, he had up to 10,000 visits to his, he had a website. He right. blogged, he started out blogging, and then he yep. put himself a website. And he was very popular. Big. Came out of nowhere. Group. Big. And this is what I was saying to Elvira when we were getting ready for the show today. In my heart, I would love to believe, I don't care what your faith is, I don't have Christian baggage, so I was not raised Christian, I know a lot of folks come to paganism and witchcraft because of, of the wounds they experienced from their their Christian faith. Right. right. I understand that's very complicated, I don't carry those wounds myself, so I can't fully understand that, right? But I don't care if you're Christian, I don't care what your religion is, however, there is a... So my blah, blah, blah. my heart says I really truly hope that he was just following his spirit, following his heart, and it led him to Druidry, and Druidry reconnected him to the land. Right. That, he found his way back to Jesus. How beautiful. Right. I, I would love to believe that, but then there's that cynical, jaded part of myself that goes, No, this is someone who sought fame and power. Right. Since a youth, someone who is involved in the entertainment industry, right, understands power and money and and what our society, our overculture deems as powerful and successful and image, right? And there and let's be real, everybody. There's only so big you can get in the pagan world. Yes, there's only so much fame to be had in the pagan world. There's only so much you can do. Only so big you can get. And even if you are the biggest big name pagan. In the community, if you go out into the overculture and say that big name pagan's name, <laughs> other people won't know who the hell you're talking about. Exactly. So if you seek fame and you get as high as you can, he did pretty damn good. Yeah. He got pretty high up there right. in the big name pagan roster. Right. Right. There's not much further that you can go. But if you look over at that pond where the Christians are fishing, oh yeah, the fish get a lot bigger and the pond's a lot bigger too. Right. So the cynical part of me goes, no, nah, he just is a climber. He got as high as he could and wanted a bigger pond. He wants bigger recognition, which he actually has acquired based on going back into the uh, Christian yep. traditions. And he actually, there was, and it was funny because I read this um there was a uh, Unitarian Universalist uh, assembly, yeah. and he was part of that. And that is, you know, Unitarian Universalists are, uh, of what I have been able to know and, and deal with, they do hold all. Yeah, that, non-denominational. You know, they're non-denominational. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they do tend, you know, to have a little bit more of the, the, the use of the God and things, but they are definitely more, much more open and, and let everybody, you know, have their way with how they can see this spiritual. And, but he began to start making his climb there. Right. So he did find another way in. And, of course... He's well versed in how to best say, you know, I thank all the people and, you know, all the things that I have gained from it and I yep. take this and I meld it now with where I'm at. And, yep. you know, I think that one of the things that somebody said was that we as pagans might need to look at the acceptance sure. uh, and abilities for people to find their ways and tolerance, whereas yeah. Christianity has intolerance. Right, right. So, you know, I hold, I can hold both sides, my Libra moon showing. I can hold both sides of the scale. <laughs> I can see him following his spiritual path, and I can see that maybe he's just shady. Yeah. Maybe that's what this, all this comes to. Like, how shady is each of these people? <laughs> Only time will tell. I don't know. So, I, you know, I wish him luck. I hope he's finding... Spiritual enlightenment and spiritual growth and right. depth and happiness and joy. Right. And and I maintain feeling a little bit questioned about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he did. He did what he felt he had to do in the environment, and then moved on. Right. And however that may have been, he didn't necessarily take. 
I would have to say he didn't take a leadership role in a traditional sense. That's true. Okay. He didn't start his own tradition. He didn't have a bunch of foundlings following him. Right. That he walked off and left, yeah, that's you know, true. crying and whining, you know, crying true. because there is nobody there. That right. person left. Right. So, again, it, it puts you into how do you perceive and how best do you want to, you know, see. But questioning is, I guess, the best part of it is that just like we question our own motives when we do yeah. something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We might have to do two shows because we've only made it through two. I noticed. It's already time to take a break, and we've got, like, five more people to talk about. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, here's the break. All right. We'll be back. You're listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Stay tuned as more magic is coming your way right after these messages. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Holly, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6. Fit and Foxy, Madame Nadia and Jaya Dania, Wednesdays, 6 to 7. And The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. Holy moly, we're back again. Um, it just keeps getting better and better. We're, we, Elvira and I are scheming during the break. Like, okay, so we have these names left to talk about. So let's do a second show. But we might need more people's names. And it just, you know, totally dawned on me. I'm sure there are dozens more names. That I'm we sure that we haven't list. really delved. We just took the surface. That's right. We just scooped the top. So Actually, I could think of someone from my own tradition that turned their back on the tradition in a very public and nasty way, but, you know, I won't go into that right we'll, now. We'll take it out as another, <laughs> another show, right? Yeah. Right, okay. So let's do Alex Marr. Alex Marr. So we were a little old school with Lady Sheba, right? This right. is like origins of Wicca time. Right. And we fast forward to the 2010s with Teo Bishop. Right. And now we fast forward just a smidgen more to like 2015, I think, <laughs> somewhere around there. Yeah. With Alex Marr. Right. Alex Marr, who is an author and a um, journalist who published a book called The Witches of America. And she is a jur- she's a documentary filmmaker as yes. well. Yes, and this whole thing with Alex Marr started when she connected with Morpheus Ravenna, who is, con- Morpheus Ravenna is a leader in the fairy tradition, and she is also one of the founders of Koru Kaftabadwa, which is a, basically an Irish Celtic reconstructionist group. Basically. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Koru does ritual and has a hospitality suite at Pantheacon. I love their rituals. Right. They're kind of dark and warrior and badass. Right. I love going to quarry rituals. Anyway, uh, Morpheus used to be the um, owner and operator or land ward. I don't really know what her official title would have been, but in the East Bay of, of California, there was sacred land. Right. And I can't remember what it was called, and it's not in my notes, but she was in charge of that land. She right. She created the, the land, and there were pagan campouts and events and things that happened there. Right. And um, Alex Marr made a documentary, who, the name of which I have lost. Uh, let us see if we can resurrect it. Um, yeah, I know it, too, in my brain, but the well, Rolodex is not finding it. It's okay. We will, we will find it yeah. as soon as one of us starts going somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> well, she made this documentary right. about witchcraft in modern America. Right. And worked with Morpheus quite a bit, and then later came back to Morpheus after the, the um, documentary came out, and it was pretty successful as far as, you know, random documentaries on obscure religions go. Right. But she came back to Morpheus and said something to the effect of, 
I would like to dive deeper into this. And, and yes, as a journalist, but also, yes, for my own personal growth. I am interested in exploring witchcraft for myself. Right. And so Morpheus said okay and kind of took her under her wing and brought her to pag- pagan events, brought her to Pantheacon. I met this person. I was in ritual with this person. Um, I don't feel any negative feelings towards her. Right. Um, I, you know, I was in a public ritual with a hundred other people. I, right. I didn't have any personal interaction with her. Right. Um, but she shared information about things that she maybe shouldn't have shared. Right. There we go. Yeah. Breaking an oath again. Right. Well, and then she wrote a book about it, obviously. Right, right exactly. So, so not only did she share private ritual information that was maybe not 100% kosher for her uh-huh. to share, uh-huh. but then she published a book and is making money on that and, you know, names other people and talks about other people's experiences, which for me, when I teach classes on witchcraft, I always tell people, it's, especially in reclaiming, it's one of the things that we ask people to make an agreement around is confidentiality. It's right. fine to share your own experience. It's fine to share what you did or you experienced or what you felt, Right. how a specific working may have impacted you, but don't share what someone else's experience was or how someone else reacted or what someone else might have said and done right because it's a small community right and you might you might say oh there's this person in my class and they have really long hair and it got tangled up in this thing and then they cried and they mentioned that their poor son who's only six months old well that's all you need to say and someone will go oh i know who they're talking about right you know and that's kind of what she did it's very much, it's it's the privacy of what you do, the confidentiality. And when you start sharing it and putting it out in print yep. or in a film, whether it's, you know, she didn't do that in the film, but she did this in the print, it, right. was, it becomes a violation. Right. Right, because in the film, in the documentary, she's a documentarian. Right. That's the word. And she shares the the practices and what's going on in a documentary film. Right. In the book, it's like she's an infiltrator. Right. It's like she stepped in and said, oh, I, I want to have these deeper experiences. I want to experience the magic of this. Right. And then turn around and exploited it. Right. And never really, and again, Libra. Moon. <laughs> Maybe she was super genuine and was feeling to explore witchcraft and dove deeper and then went, meh, I'm not feeling it. I'm not experiencing right. it. I'm not, I'm not having the, the interaction with these spirits that these other people are having. Right. Maybe this really isn't for me. But I'm real. I'm still writing this book. Right. You know, maybe. Or maybe she was like, well, the only way I'm going to get the real dirt is if they let me in to the site. Right. Which is an expose. Right. You know, and when you're doing documentary documentaries, there is it becomes an expose. You're right. not just documenting something; you are exposing it to the public. Right. So I tended to get a little annoyed. I don't know the person, but I felt, um, and then I don't think how many people she actually exposed gave her the you know the oh yeah no problem you could share whatever happened with me yeah. Um, right. I don't believe they did. And she's quoted, she, she's been interviewed quite a bit because the book didn't do terribly well or terribly poorly. It did, right. did okay. Right. Uh, in the mainstream world, it was actually quite well received. In the pagan world, it was pretty much panned. People right. People are like, don't read this book. This lady's right. a jerk. And one of the interviews about some of the backlash she's been getting, she said, I envy them, the believers. That's a direct quote. Which means she didn't believe. Right, but she wanted to. Yeah. You know, so I, there is a part of me, more than like Lady Shiva or Teo Bishop, there's a part of me that does feel a little sorry for her. Like she was looking for something and didn't right. find it. and didn't find it. But capitalized on the fact that she could make a buck Yeah. by virtue of her time and energy. Yes. And I think that's the part that really annoys me. Right. Right. However, she didn't bash pagans. No. She didn't say they're doing a bunch of crazy bullshit. Right. She didn't say, oh, it's so stupid. Right. She she laid it out in a very journalistic format. Right. She shared the experiences and said, you know, I, you don't need to decide if this is true or not because it's about faith and, and that's personal. Right. You know? So that is also like, I think that might also be why I'm a little bit softer on her than some of the other people on our list because it's like 
she could have made this really bad, really bad. I mean, let's be honest, witches and pagans out there that are listening, sometimes we are weird. Yes. You know, if you pretend to be Earl and Lurleen from small town Oklahoma and have them show up at one of our rituals, they would think we were nutty. Yes. Nuttier than a fruitcake. Yes. Right? Yes. We are weird. And that's okay. It's what makes us beautiful and fun and amazing. Right. But you could manipulate that right. and make it look really bad. Yeah. So, again, borderline, not necessarily a total, right. you know, yucky person. Right. And officially never took any spiritual oaths. Right. So it's it's on that borderline of shady. Yeah. 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 So there we go. That's how it's So we have... We actually have more, but we are choosing. Yes. Well, the the, the last one we're going to have time to talk about is a big one. Yep. It's a big fish. Big fish. Well, there's actually a couple big fish, but we're going to have to leave those other big fish. Yeah, we are. Right. We are. So we can only talk so much shit one night. <laughs> I know. And then, of course, you That's know. That's not true. We could talk a lot. We could, lot. we could go on, but it, we want you to still enjoy yeah. what we're talking about and not get bored. <laughs> <laughs> Do people get bored talking about shit? I don't know. I don't know either, but I don't you know. There you are. Anyway. Okay, so who is this mystery person? And our final topic for this evening is Aiden Kelly. Senior. Senior. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. Show over. Uh, yeah, there we are. <laughs> okay, so this is someone who was... Born October 22nd, 1940. My six-month birthday. Oh, there you go. And basically, he was, out of four of the children, he was, you know, a military brat. They moved around a lot. And he didn't necessarily know until later that his dad, from World War II on to the late 1900s, was a intelligence agent. So, background, this is where he comes from, Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. He was raised Roman Catholic. So, what happened next is his, we'll go history and then maybe academia, but um, he wound up, uh, when they finally settled in Mill Valley in California, had his first experience uh, with a spiritual vision of the goddess when he was 15. Now... I have to say that, you know, that's really great, and it is a time of hormonal changes, so I'm glad she came to him. Right. Great. But um, from that point of reference, he became an agnostic. Right. You want to take over from here? Oh, jeez. Agnostic. (laughs) Where were we? Yeah, well, Uh, yes. So, well, from then, he sort of kind of dove in. He became... Um, involved in exploring neo-paganism and right. Wicca. Um, he created his own branch of paganism, right. which is the New Reformed Orthodox Order of the Golden Dawn. Right. So that would lead us to believe he was connected to the Golden Dawn. Right. Right. Which he wasn't. Right. Um, so there you go. Okay, that was in the 1960s, so let's, you know, I mean, we fast-forward through a lot of his Scholastic. So yeah, uh, skipped over all that. Yeah, we skipped over that because, of course, well, yeah, he's very smart. He's very smart. He's still alive. We're talking about a totally alive person. A totally alive person. Um, he's very well educated, very smart. Um, yeah. He went for his BA, and then he wound up going off and editing and, you know, working at different uh, jobs that he his energies could be put in. He went back for his master's, and he went for his Ph.D. Very smart. So he is definitely, and a lot of what he did in his degrees were the um, looking at alternative religions and specifically the pagan tradition. Right. And... You know, one of the things about Aidan Kelly, and and he wasn't alone in this. So no. in the in the early seventies, there are several um, white dudes yes. that ha- are what we would probably call our four fa- founders or or founders of many of the faiths and traditions that are still very active. Yes, and they 
some of them were academics and historians or interested in in academia and history and right. explored some of the roots of the occult and magic and did a research into the history of these things. Right. And these these folks were often friends or co-collaborators or a ritualist who practiced rituals together, but they made up a lot of stuff. And I could name about half a dozen names right now, and I'm not going to. No. But they made up a lot of stuff right. that has become gospel in modern paganism. Right. One of the examples I often give about Aidan Kelly, and if you've listened to previous shows, you've heard me rant about this, is calling the autumn equinox Mabon, completely made up by Aidan Kelly. Right. That is not, there is no historical relevance to that at all. Right. Uh, so, you know, he is very smart, very creative, found out a lot of interesting history about the craft in the early 70s. Um, studied some of the manuscripts, the original manuscripts right. that Gerald Gardner wrote. Right. wrote. Like, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, and was really curious about some of the origins of of witchcraft. And that's that's wonderful. Like, a lot of what we know is because Aidan Kelly took the time to look into it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But then what you get is, and we're going to sidebar in another instant, but not right now because we're still working on, you know, kind of keeping an uh, eye on the information, is yeah. that he wound up, please understand, he had several marriages, yes. several children, yes. so there are that to be said on his personal life, and he basically at one point sought help because of some of his own issues with AA, yes. and he withdrew, basically, from the pagan community. Right, which is fine. I, we say this with no judgment. Yes, yeah. because that was part of what he needed to do. Yeah. And then at about, oh, in, you know, looking at the timing, he proceeded to actually choose to go back to Roman Catholicism mm -hmm. from about 1978 to 1987. Right. And at that point... He um, he then proceeded to come back into paganism with his present wife and the uh, children they have, and he has moved all over the United States, but keeps coming back to the Northwest. Yeah, and um, is presently you know living up in Washington, and he has gone on to continue his pagan. Yes, and he still writes. Yes, and blogs and posts things and um, he's very well written he's very interesting right um, but for about a decade he went to Catholicism and in a 2006 interview in Wittershins magazine he said <laughs> saying quote never stopped being a witch I just stopped practicing for a while unquote so again you know there's that part of us that goes wonderful he's exploring his spirituality right he needed to have this dive back into the faith of his childhood and he was always a witch. That's that's lovely, um, beautiful, wonderful. And there's those of us who are like, well, you left. Yep. Stay gone. Yeah. Which is shitty. It's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> there are people who hold that opinion. And they feel that in light of... In light of the things that have gone on and what he did, I mean, he, he basically um, took some of the the situations and crafted yes crafted the, the the religion or the spiritual beliefs and the practices into something that was marketable right and i don't necessarily say that he thought of it as i'm going to make books on this but you know there's a certain yeah. part of us that when we look at how many and this is going to be our jumping off point for the for the remainder of our thing is how many men yeah. created the different practice now. practices. Yes. Well, and one of the things about Aidan Kelly is he researched research specifically Gerald Gardner and yes. the roots of Gerald Gardner yes. and the claims that Gerald Gardner made right. about his ancestry and the, the New Forest Coven that he supposedly learned right. witchcraft from. And and where Aidan Kelly becomes a controversial character 
is that he disputes Gerald Gardner's claims. Right. And he's like, nah, Gardner basically made all of this stuff up, and Gardnerian Wicca is, is the invention of Gerald Gardner. I don't know that I disagree with that. However, well, there's a show on that. Right? There's, there's something interesting there. But it's very... Um, Controversial. Yes. And there are other historians in the pagan world, uh, Don Frew, Ronald Hutton, Jacqueline Simpson, other folks who have also followed up on some of the details and the things that Kelly has written about and either completely disregard his findings or fully support his findings. Right. Um, but there is criticism woven in there. And the bottom line is, in my very humble, jaded opinion, <laughs> In the early 1970s, he was like, hey, you know what? Look at all this cool shit that Gerald Gardner just made up. And it's 20 years later. Right. People are still, like, into it. And there's all this fun, naked ritual. And there's all this cool stuff with, you know, lots of freeness and, and exploring the dark arts. Right. Why don't I put my imprint on this? Right. Why don't I and these handful of other white dudes that I hang out with, we'll put our own spin on, on what Gerald Gardner made up. If he did it, why can't we? Right. And that's that's where I'm like, fuck. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Is, and maybe that's not true. Maybe I'm just jaded. I'm always trying to, you know, play devil's advocate with myself. But the more I look at our history, the more that seems to be true. Right. And it's sad. It's sad because... Then we have the backlash right. of the Dionic tradition. Right. So what happens in the 70s, we have all these dudes who bring up all these occult um, stories and rituals and right. things. And then we have women who, you know, it's Wicca is very binary. It's right. very male-female, right. right? And all of a sudden, there were these women who were just as important as the men. In fact, in a Wiccan circle, it's the high priestess who has all the power. The right. high priest is secondary. Right. Right. And all of a sudden, in the 70s and the early 80s, it was like, wait a minute, why, why are women giving all of this power to the men to create these traditions right. or to take credit, credit for all of the work that we're doing or some right. of the work that we're doing? And so the pendulum swung far in the other direction right. with these Dianic traditions that, in some cases, became very anti-male. And militant. Yeah. Yeah. So you have these people who we've talked about specifically, some women, some men. Yep. Um, but it is a, even when you look at Lady Sheba, it was the Gardnerian shadows. Yeah. Shadows. Again, going back to something that we see as right. a question. Right. The roots of all of this go back to Wicca, to Gardnerian right. witchcraft. They really do. Right. Uh, uh, it, it, they really do. And there's other occult stuff that's older. There, there totally is. There's folk magic. There's all kinds of other stuff. Right. But a lot of what our modern rituals look like is Gardnerian Wicca base. Right. And all of these folks from the 60s and 70s were stealing it from each other, reweaving it into their own words. And right. Right putting it out into the world. And as we say, oath breakers, liars, uh, people who take advantage of things right. for their own needs and desires. Right. Um, it is not pure, and I know we're not pure, Right. but there's an integrity. Yeah, and I can totally see it. I can see myself in 1969 being in a Gardnerian coven, and, you know, the Internet doesn't exist. It's a it's a different world. It's right. things more slowly and realizing, you know what? This isn't that great. I'm going to take all of this that I've learned and change it up in a way that I find more engaging or I right. or spirit tells me to do. Right. Or from my meditations on the goddess, I feel like we should be right. doing it. Ba 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 ba. I rewrite the Book of Shadows, I go find some other witches, I create my own coven, and bam, the Phoenix Le Fay coven is born. Right. But the roots are still from that other tradition that I borrowed from. Right. I mean, I could see myself, I should I do that now? We do it anyway. What we do is we amalgamate. Yeah. I, I have this experience, I go to this workshop, I do this ritual, and I think, wow, that was amazing. I'm going to do that in my flavor and see how it works. So it begs the question, are these people ostensibly evil and bad, or um, are they people that are part of the movement of changing 
and bringing oh. things. And again, if you break an oath, right? I think that's the place that you draw the line. Absolutely. Yeah. If if you if you are in integrity, then right. you are not just stealing someone's right ritual and then saying, "Oh no, I wrote this. My grandmother initiated me when I was right. six. Right. If you're in integrity, you're not doing that. But if you're inspired by someone's ritual and you want to bring that to your, if you go to New York and you experience a ritual and you are inspired by it. Right. And you want to bring that home to your community, that's different. Exactly. And that, I think, is where this show talks about the people, not because we're down on no. everything, but because by taking these people and seeing what they've done. Yeah. Is the question is, did they bring something new and right. unusual forward? Did they redo something? Did they give credit? And right. if they did any of this, did they break an oath? Right. And the bottom line is, it's here. Right. I, I encourage people to know the roots of what they're doing. Right. Especially because I'm involved in the hoodoo world, you know. Know the roots of what you're doing. Understand the history. Understand the traditions. And after 25 years of practicing witchcraft, this radio show, because of the amount of research we do, I've learned a ridiculous amount of history that I didn't know yeah. even after 25 years, yeah. you know. So the the learning and the discovery and all of that never ends. Of course not. Never ends. No, not at all. And it's these these things are here. They're ingrained in our communities. They're ingrained in our faiths. They're ingrained in our religion. And so we have to honor them for how they got here. Right. Good, bad, and ugly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a great show closer because we know what happened in the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> People died. Clint Eastwood made it out okay. Yeah, I don't think Clint Eastwood would like pagan ritual for some reason. Well, isn't he like an NRA dude? Anyway, let's not get off. We won't go there. We could go someplace else all over the place. But but we've learned a lot, and um, I think we'll probably have a part two. We will definitely have a part two of this. Yeah. And next week is... Ask a witch. Ask a witch. Yeehaw! So we do have a, a nice little array of questions and things that you lovely folks have written into us but we would love more because we're going to continue to do ask a witch segments pretty you know regularly every other month or so so uh, if, if you <laughs> she got choked up over this you know excitement sorry <laughs> so if you do have a question if there is something you want to hear us banter about then go to our website yep witchpriestesscauldron.com and fill out the questionnaire Yes, and from there, we thank you for listening to our show and engaging uh, all those little brain cells as we talk about these things. Go learn, work through the process, um, and we will have a part two of this. And we'll see you next week. Okay, doke. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Witch, The Priestess, and The Cauldron, a radio podcast on the LMC Radio Network. Our podcast airs live every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific and will be available for download. Questions or comments on this show or ideas for upcoming shows can be sent to our website, and that's at www.witchpriestesscauldron.com. Again, that's witchpriestesscauldron.com. On behalf of Elvira, Phoenix, Alan, and myself, Gwion Raven, a big merry meet and merry part and merry meet again. Blessed be.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.